I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up. We're going to talk about Attorney General William Barr's comments recently equating the national stay-at-home mandate with slavery. I know, you got to be kidding me, right? We're also going to be talking about the important issue of empowering women, both in the church and in society at large. And speaking of empowering women, we're going to be talking to the co-founders of Nevertheless She Preached, which their event begins this Sunday. We're going to be visiting with Reverends Kendall Rathus and Natalie Webb. So stay tuned. Autumn, how are you doing? I mean, hang on just a second. What is going on in our world right now? I mean, out west, we've got wildflowers. We've got wildfires out of control. In my backyard, we've got wildflowers out of control. (laughs) Uh, But out west, I mean, uh, the the fires rage on. Uh, People are dying. I mean, it's just getting worse and worse, it seems like, out in California and Oregon. In fact, I read uh, an article just this morning that uh, Oregon, and particularly Portland, has the worst air quality it has had in decades or maybe ever in that city's uh, illustrious career. And then we had another hurricane uh, rip through the Gulf this week and make landfall. And then there are like four or five just hanging out in the Atlantic, uh, eyeing us uh, as they, they move west. So, my goodness, what is going on in this world of ours? I don't know. I We have a Facebook group called Good Faith Gathering, which mm-hmm. if you're not a part of it, it's a great place to come and just, you know, sit and hold space with like-minded friends, really. But I posted an image in there and it's Gladys Kravitz from the Bewitched show, who's like <laughs> the consummate nosy neighbor. And she's got her little face all scrunched up on the window. And it was like me checking which book of Revelation we're doing today. <laughs> I know. So yeah, exactly right. Right, and then you know. And speaking of crazy things happening, I read just the other day this crazy story about birds falling out of the sky dead. Now they're saying, "Of course you did." Of course you <laughs> I know, birds. right? What chapter in Exodus did that come out of? Uh, but uh, you know, they're attributing it, uh, of course, to the smoke coming out of uh, the wildfires in the West, causing air quality to be so poor uh, mm-hmm. that thousands and thousands of birds who are migrating uh, south for the winter are just dying there yeah. in New Mexico. So. Uh, I mean, it's just strange, strange times we live in. It is. And this is such a first world problem, but you also can't buy canned pumpkin right now. I heard about that. So what are you, what are you going to be doing without your canned pumpkin? Mitch, here's what I did. I went to Sprouts and I bought some pie pumpkins and I'm going to roast them and make my own. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I don't know. I don't know what else to do because the cool weather is here and I'm very basic and I need to make something that's flavored like a pumpkin right now. (laughs) So you're just, you're buying pumpkins right and left and just going to make your own uh, pumpkin filling. Excellent. We just have to do desperate times in 2020. You just never know. It was toilet paper in the fall. It's pumpkins. And it was, yeah, toilet paper in the spring pumpkins in the fall. What are we going to be like wrapping paper? Is that going to be at a a premium in December? I don't even know. (laughs) 
Well, speaking of toilet paper, Autumn, did you hear the <laughs> horrible remarks from our attorney general this week equating a national stay-at-home mandate and mask mandate to prevent COVID-19 with slavery? That is an infringement on the, great, the greatest civil rights infringement since slavery. How asinine can you be to make that statement? You know, I just continue to hear that sentiment echoed um, in so many places. Our own city here was divided. Um, and, you know, I say divided. I think there was a, a very uh, loud, angry, small number of people. Right. But basically tried to oust our, our mayor for trying to keep citizens safe and have a mask mandate. And mm. now we sit in a college town where the bars are packed. They just had game day last weekend. No masks. People all over the place. Um, our kids' school are likely going back virtual because of the numbers in our county. And people are still crying foul because they have to wear a mask. Right. Yeah, it, it's just absolutely ridiculous. It, it is also, I think, evil. Uh, if you are actually trying to equate the two, I mean, my goodness, nobody uh, has been chained. Nobody has been whipped. Nobody has been flogged. Nobody has been lynched. I mean, it's just there's no comparing uh, what's going on in the country today with slavery or Jim Crow. It is just this white supremacy that has just bubbled to the top in the last four years and have just come out of the closet and said, you know what? It is just fine to be racist these days. And they won't call themselves racist. They no. will not think of themselves as racist. But I'm here to tell you comments like what the attorney general said and the president has said in the past and the attitudes of common citizens who think somehow, some way, they are being oppressed like our black brothers and sisters throughout history is absolutely ridiculous and nonsensical. It, and it's dangerous. I it mean, is dangerous. It's inciting more polarization in a society where it's already so divided. And you just continue to hear folks saying, um, well, you know, we just have to agree to disagree. And this is not something I'm willing to agree to disagree no, on. No, this is right and wrong. This exactly. is righteousness and evil afoot. And I've just decided to draw a line in the sand. I do not have to agree to disagree with you any longer about some of these things. Now, are there topics that we can talk about and discuss and have two point of views on this same issue? Absolutely, 100%. And I welcome... Crunchy peanut butter or creamy peanut butter, Mitch? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's a conversation I can have. I was, talking, right. to, I was talking to a pastor uh, about three years ago uh, after Trump was elected, and he was just really... Uh, distraught about trying to talk to some of his church members regarding what truth is and what fact is and what the Bible says about some of these particular issues. And he said, you know, what is startling to me is that, uh, and we were sitting at a coffee table and we had our cups of coffee in front of us. He said, you know, Mitch, you can look at that cup of coffee and you can describe it from your point of view. And I can look at it from my point of view and describe that coffee cup. And you may tell me that that coffee cup has a picture on it. But from my point of view, I can't see the picture. So I'm not, I'm going to describe it differently. But we have a central agreement that this thing is a coffee cup. Mm -hmm. He said, mm -hmm. talking to people who have bought into Trumpism, is like trying to talk to them about what this coffee cup is, but they disagree with you that it's even a coffee cup. Yep. 
And it is just, it's so infuriating. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're right. I mean, just adding to the divisiveness of this country. Uh, But it's time for people of good faith to make a stand. And one of the stands that we are making here at Good Faith Media is trying to create an egalitarian society, both in the church and in society at large, when it comes to empowering women in places of leadership. Now, I'm going to ask you, growing up in uh, Central Texas, in Baptist churches, how many women did you see in leadership in your church? So the VBS chair was always a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we did not even have the, the woman who played the organ and the woman who played the piano, Sunday school teachers. And that was, a, that was about as far as it went. We didn't have women deacons for sure, but we didn't have uh, a female children's director, education director, youth director, music minister, anything like that. It was all male. Yeah. And I did too. I mean, and, and constantly from the pulpit, from uh, instructors when I was young as a child, and especially during my uh, student days as a, as a youth in the youth department, and then on as an adult, heard time and time again that women uh, had their role in the church and had their role in society, but they needed to be submissive to men. And they would cite these texts and make these arguments that men needed to be uh, leaders in the home and in the church and that women should not have any sense of authority over them whatsoever. And then I bought into that. I mean, I've, I've told many, many people, I grew up as a really great fundamentalist because that's all I just can't picture I knew. that. I know, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I had my big Bible and I had my track and and I had my copy of Rush Limbaugh even and cargo you know, shorts. <laughs> I may have wore some cargo shorts uh, <laughs> a time or two, but I was a good little fundamentalist and uh, bought into everything. And then all of a sudden, uh, I went to Southwestern Seminary, which I know for those who are familiar with Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, um, it currently is a very traditional conservative. Southern Baptist Seminary. But when I went there, it was a different place. And we had this one professor, an Old Testament professor by the name of Dr. Boo Heflin, who preached the convocation uh, the very first semester of my seminary days. And again, I'm sitting there in the auditorium, a good little fundamentalist. And his sermon on that convocation day was about egalitarianism. And he used scripture to debunk every argument that I had ever heard growing up as a kid why women could not serve in the local church as pastor or a minister or in uh, authority of men. And it was astounding. My eyes were open, scales falled from them, and it was like, finally, somebody's being honest with me about what the Bible truly says about what God intended for this world, that men and women uh, are co-equal in this journey we called life, and that they are equipped and empowered to serve in the church. I just wish there'd be more congregations willing to call women as pastors, because that's one of the drawbacks that we see time and time again. We see a lot, or we hear a lot from individuals and institutions that give lip service to women in leadership and women pastors but very few times are they getting opportunities to actually serve. Now, there it, it is on the rise, and that is, that's a good trend. 
but we need more women and leadership. Uh, preaching from the pulpit, leading institutions, leading organizations, uh, because, I mean, it's just, it's been too long, and that needs to happen. And our guests today are going to talk about that. So, uh, it's it's really an exciting conversation to have. So, so what are your thoughts on women in ministry? So I, you know, the, the church that I grew up in, I as I told you, there, there weren't women in leadership. I did grow up in sort of a a little incubator of a youth group where mm. I was in leadership. Um, I was on the committee who hired our youth director, who, by the way, is still there. Mm-hmm. Like he's right. been there forever. Right. Um, I was, I, I did a preach, but I like did the youth version of preach to our youth group, which was pretty big. I led, you know, in music stuff and um, served as an intern at that church. And, it was, it was a place that I feel like it was a safe place to grow up as a girl. Um, mm-hmm. And as a mom of two daughters, in addition to two sons, I think it's just as important for the sons to see this as, as a woman. But one of the reasons that we chose North Haven was because um, they were affirming of women in leadership and had female deacons. And I tell a story about a female deacon later in our interview. Um, but it was important for not just my girls, but my boys too, to see that women had just as much of a voice as men in the church. And sometimes it's like racism. I just can't believe we're still having this conversation. Right. You know, and it's not just uh, germane or in particular to the church as well. It's it's also prevalent within society. I, I am still astonished we have not had a woman president yet. Um, it just is really mind-boggling. Uh, you see other great democracies around the world who have not hesitated in electing women in leadership. Um, we need to, you know, I, I don't know when that's going to happen, but I hope it happens sooner than later. Uh, we need a female uh, running this country. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I always laugh at uh, the question that was posed to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg on Supreme Court when someone asked her, well, uh, uh Justice uh, Ginsburg. When will there be enough? When will there be enough? I mean, you know, when will there be enough women on the Supreme Court? And she says, when there's nine, when there's nine justices, because I think that will be fair because there were nine men for a long time in the history of the court. So at any rate, uh, I just want everybody to know Good Faith Media, not only do we support women in ministry, but we are trying to get, make every attempt to empower women in places of leadership uh, here within our organization. Autumn is our executive director for development and marketing. She's on our executive team and does a great job for us. And I don't even have to make casseroles to have that position. <laughs> or right. play the piano. We didn't even ask that, did we? We didn't no, even ask that. Dirty, we didn't. Dirty. <laughs> uh, and then also uh, striving to, to give women opportunities uh, in the pulpit and lead congregations. We think that's vitally important. And we've got two very strong women that we're going to be talking to here in a moment after the break because they have launched a movement afoot, and it is called Nevertheless She Preached. And we're going to let Kendall and Natalie describe that to you and let you know what's going on and how you can register for their uh, for their event starting this Sunday and then going on Monday and Tuesday as well. So stay tuned for Nevertheless She Preached. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Good Faith Media, and our guests this week are Reverends Kendall Rothhaus and Natalie Webb, co-founders and directors of Nevertheless She Preached. Nevertheless She Preached is a preaching event designed and led by women. The 2020 conference is scheduled to start this Sunday, September 20, with a free public event at 5 o'clock Central Standard Time, and the conference is getting underway Monday, running through Tuesday, and you can register for Nevertheless She Preached 2020 at neverthelessshepreached.com. Kendall, Natalie, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Hello. Thank you for having us. Well, I hope both of you are having a good start to your fall, even though it's just really wrapping up summer. But Kendall, I heard you're in Colorado. You had a snowfall this week. Yes, yes, it was great. But you know, today it's supposed to be 85, I think. So oh, wow. it's just a little bit nuts. Yeah. And, and Natalie, how are things going up in uh, New England? Everything all right up there? It's good. It's nice. It's beautiful, like 60 degrees today or so. You're really nice. Good, good. Well, before we get into Nevertheless, She Preached, we ask our guest every week during this pandemic one question, and that is simply, how are you, how are your family, your congregation uh, during this time of COVID-19? I feel like that's a loaded question. Right, yeah. <laughs> we're, I mean, I guess the short answer for me is we're hanging in there. My congregation is worshiping virtually, and my family is all healthy, um, my immediate family anyway. Um, so yeah, we're hanging in there, doing the best we can, drinking a lot of hot tea and wine for self-care. <laughs> good, good for you. And Kendall, you guys doing okay? Yeah, yeah, we are. Um, you know, it's it's a, a really strange time um, that is, I just feel like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but, but I think really it's gone fairly well um for for me um i do my spiritual practice my spiritual direction practice Mm -hmm. um over zoom and that's worked out great really um and i've been able to to meet with a lot of people who are struggling during this time so that has been really meaningful i've really been glad to do that and then my kids are doing my kids are doing good there too. So they don't, I mean, they don't know what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, good. I'm glad both of you guys are doing well. Your families are well. And, uh, and uh, Natalie, your congregation is doing well there in Worcester, Massachusetts. So, but we're here to talk about nevertheless, she preached, right? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) So for someone who's never heard, let's pretend that we have a podcast listener who's never heard of Nevertheless She Preached. Tell us your why behind it and maybe some about its origins and just anything you think folks would want to know. Sure. Yeah. So we, um, back in, let's see, was that 2017, Mm -hmm. Natalie? Yeah. Yeah, we... Um, really we started by responding to what felt like, well, not what felt like, what was a lack of female representation in, particularly at our alma mater, our seminary, because we'd spent some time politely asking for better representation of women in the pulpit and in preaching conferences and just wasn't gaining traction. And so we decided instead of waiting on the institutions to listen, we were just going to start our own event. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we had this idea to put together a conference and, um, 
the funny thing was we only had maybe like five or six weeks to put the whole thing together. Um, and because we wanted to sort of time it after, um, our seminaries preaching conference that featured almost predominantly men. And so we were like, I don't know if we can pull this off in five weeks. Let's see if we can get a couple of, you know, really great preachers to agree. And so we started reaching out to women across the country and across denominations asking, saying, you know, we don't really have a budget, but we, we hope we can pay you. Would you please come? Um, and we got so many yeses. People were so excited about what we were doing and why that we had to keep expanding the schedule. And within five weeks, we had put together a conference with nine keynote speakers and we wow. raised over $20,000. Wow. Um, and we, and, and our largest donation was $500. So that tells you like how just grassroots people yeah. were responding. So we thought we were responding to this local sort of Baptist need. And we struck a chord with women across the country. Um, Natalie, what would you add to that? Yeah, I know. I mean, I think it was just, like you said, we kind of went into it thinking this will be like a little supplemental rally <laughs> to this local situation. And it turned into this huge three-day conference that, yeah, I think um, really surprised us because, you know, as Baptist pastors, we um, kind of see ourselves as like the underdogs as women who are Baptist pastors. And so like, we know that there's all of this um, sexism and patriarchy that is so uh, deeply rooted in our denomination. And it's easy to think, well, the grass is greener over there with, you know, the Methodists or the Presbyterians or whoever, but we were shocked at, to find out that what we were experiencing really crosses denominations. It's not just an evangelical thing. It's not just a conservative thing that sexism and um, micro and macro aggressions are prevalent throughout progressive churches across the country in the North overseas. So it was really eye-opening, I think. And, and it's sad. That's really sad, but also it was helpful for us to to realize we're not alone in this mm -hmm. and to kind of band together with so mm -hmm. many women who understood and just needed that space to, to come together and share that experience and go out with some, some renewed purpose. I've got a question. Yeah, so uh, much solidarity in that, that event was, I think it was just so empowering to be together in a room like that. I bet. Yeah. I've got a you mentioned patriarchy, and I do have more to ask about that uh, in response to what you both uh, just mentioned in your remarks. Uh, but before that, I do have to ask this question. The name. Tell us about the name, because I absolutely love it. Do you want to take this yeah. one, Kendall? Sure. So, I'm, um, uh, you know, the first Nevertheless She Preached was, um, you know, Trump had been elected, and um, Elizabeth Warren's Nevertheless She Preached persisted mm -hmm. phrase had just sort of become popular. And so we loved the idea of saying, nevertheless, she preached. Um, and our, um, our friend Heather, um, Reverend Heather Mooney designed us these shirts. I'm wearing mine right now. Ah, it looks great. Um, and she made the she, the word she is filled up with the names of women who have preached throughout history um and so that has just sort of been our our 
um, rallying cry that we're not just, we're not doing something new. (laughs) (laughs) We are living in the tradition of these amazing ancestors who went before us. And despite how many times women have been silenced over and over and over throughout history, nevertheless, we continue. Well, we're big fans of Elizabeth Warren here at Good Faith Weekly. Uh, She is uh, a fellow Okie. Uh, being born here in oh, Oklahoma. Yes. So, uh, you know, we, we have a, an affinity for her uh, in many, many ways. My, my daughter's middle name is Warren because she's the baby of four from Oklahoma, just like Elizabeth. So. <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, my senator, so. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> uh, both of you mentioned patriarchy. Uh, uh, Natalie, you more directly. Uh, Kendall, you alluded to it in kind of this institutional hesitancy to, let, to to empower women, especially in the pulpit and, and in preaching conferences. Both of you grew up in the Baptist tradition. Um, from what I know of you, especially in your professional career, you would probably, um, the, the I guess the, the groups that you would find commonality with would be more moderate to progressive Baptists. Would that be accurate? Yes. Yes. What has been fascinating to me over the last couple of decades of ministry, and particularly the last decade, looking at moderate to progressive Baptist in particular, because I think our, our Methodist and Episcopal churches have done better. UCC is you know, by far probably the best at, at doing this in this, this uh, equality uh, of the pulpit. But in Baptist life, at least, there still seem, there seems to be this disconnect, is what I'm saying, between vocally affirming women in ministry and then empowering them and giving them the opportunity to lead. Would you say that's accurate? Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. Really, I mean, really, that's kind of the, that's kind of where, nevertheless, came out of that frustration. I mean, I went to my seminary because it was an affirming place for women. All of my professors were so incredibly affirming of me and my gifts and calling. Of course, I never had a, a female professor the whole time that I was in seminary. Um, which was not intentional. There were a couple of women on on the faculty, and I just missed them somehow. Um, but yes, it was. It's a rude awakening to kind of go to a place that verbally affirms you, and then get on the other side of that, and there be almost zero opportunities. And that's a story of so many um, women in moderate Baptist situations where yes, we have this kind of like rah, rah, go women um, attitude, but then there's nothing, there's nothing um, opportunity wise um, after graduation or there are like two spots. And so everyone is in competition for them. Right. Kendall, why do you think there is a disconnect? Well, I think it, because um, it's a lot easier to sort of affirm an individual woman that you've seen it's way harder to change the whole system and structure that um, that keeps white straight men in power, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, so some of those things are structural. And so like, for example, if you really want to affirm women, or if you really want to affirm people of color, then you can't just continue to invite your best friends from (laughs) whom you've known and associated with to be your speakers at your event, right? Like you have to research, you have to search out, you have to seek out that the the talent is there, the giftedness is there. Mm -hmm. Um, but but that's maybe not within your network. So you have to intentionally expand your network, for example. Um, you also have to be open to ideas and perspectives that are maybe threatening to you. So a lot of times women find that, um, you know, you sort of have to, you can't push the envelope too far or you're not going to get invited. You know, I mean, as soon as I, um, was publicly open and affirming of the LGBTQ community, I lost a lot of speaking invitations that I had had previously. Um, So when you have people who are already marginalized and then they have a perspective that's maybe different from the dominant perspective, that even further limits their um, accessibility to pulpits and to positions. But if you really want to affirm marginalized communities, that means you're totally open and welcome to their perspective as well as their personhood. Um, And so the the problem, I think, is that there's a dominant patriarchal narrative that we, um, the church tends to ascribe to. And so then when you have these divergent voices, instead of welcoming dissent, which would actually be very Baptist of us, um, (laughs) we we sort of shut those voices down because they make us uncomfortable or, you know, they don't fit what is expected. Um, So I think there's, this is such a complex issue, but I think that's one significant piece of it. And Natalie, I mean, why do you think there is this disconnect between yeah, I mean, vocalizing your support of women in ministry and then actually empowering them to to be in leadership? I totally agree with everything Kendall said. I think that that's um, a really, really important perspective about kind of cracking the door open, but only so far. And then you really don't let many people in after all. But I also think there's a practical aspect or probably lots of them, but the one that comes to mind is just what it costs the people who are already in power. So, um, you know, if you're a white male, um, pastor who affirms women in ministry, but it's going to cost you something to lead your church to be affirming, right? I know so many men who are very, um, who are very supportive, who even secretly support NSP, but they don't have women deacons at their church, much less, you know, women preachers. And so doing the work of opening those doors in your own congregations is really hard and it's, it's hard work, but it's something that not a lot of of people are willing to do because it's um, risky, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you're both, I mean, you're right on. I mean, it just, you know, it just, it, it's, it's a growing frustration. And, and I know with my uh, female colleagues, um, it, it is a, it's been a frustration for a long time and continues to be this lack of opportunity to, to lead. And so I'm hoping that there are winds of change about and, and that we can see more female leaders. And I think we have in the last, you know, two or three years, uh, people, 
rising uh, to very prominent leadership roles in Baptist circles as well as ecumenical circles. And it's exciting to see. It's very exciting to see. I'm always reminded of, uh, was it uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg when she was asked, uh, you know, how, when will you be satisfied with how many women will be on the Supreme Court? And she says, when all nine of them are women, I think it would be fair then. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when addition, in addition to um, this obstacle of patriarchy, which obviously is you know prevalent, and I would even say systemic, just based on you know observation, um, there are other obstacles that women in ministry face. So, can you guys speak to a couple of those as well? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the obstacles that women in ministry face are the same things that women across, you know, leadership positions face in the business world, the nonprofit world, wherever. Um, so, for example, you know, even in churches who are affirming of women, who are open to women in the pulpit, there are all kinds of criteria that women have to meet that men don't. So um, I'll just give an example. A church once told me that I was too young to be their pastor and probably had too much going on, which is code for small children, I think. (laughs) But those are things that would never be said to, you know, a man in his mid thirties with children and, you know, working on a doctoral degree. Those those things would be really positive things for men. Those would be requirements. Yeah, they, they count against me as a woman. So I think... You know, it, it's not just the, the conservative churches who don't even have a spot for women. It's a lot of progressive churches who, who've never had a woman as a senior pastor, or maybe they have, but still have these kind of like just different requirements that women uh, are expected to meet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of times the structures just aren't set up very well for, for example, like not having good paid maternity leave or, um, you know, not a church not being flexible when your kids are sick and they, someone, you know, they can't go to daycare. And, you know, our structures are just kind of set up um, in a way that isn't very conducive to, um, to being supportive of moms and also involved dads. (laughs) You know, we sort of, we sort of live in this world where there's sort of an expectation that, the women are going to take care of all the kids needs. Um, so we just, um, sometimes the support you need is just not there. Um, also a lot of isolation, I think, um, there's not, um, uh, women are often sent to these rural communities cause they're maybe the only churches that will take them, but then they're even further separated from support and they are not usually not paid enough, you know, so they're having to juggle financial stress. Um, so there's a lot of, I think there's lots of obstacles um, that, and some of those things are not unique to gender, right? Like just ministry is hard. Right. Um, but then you put on top of that, the microaggressions and the lack of financial support. And, you know, you add that and it just compounds um, and becomes more and more challenging. You, you two are really loud voices in this, you know, sort of female movement. Um, do either of you still struggle with imposter syndrome? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's a short yeah. answer. <laughs> Would you like to elaborate, Natalie? Yeah. How do you get rid of it? Asking for a friend. <laughs> I don't know how to get rid of it, but I'm very interested in 
anyone else does. It's very commingled with mom guilt too. Like yeah. these are things that I'm like, could we just? <laughs> yes, yes. I think like, I mean, every year when we do an SP and we're like asking people to give us money, <laughs> like asking these amazing women to show up and, and speak, I always feel like, who the hell am I to be like, <laughs> making these requests? But just like, you know, I don't know, like get your um, your big girl clothes on and type the email and push send and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, <And> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think too, I mean, I think to, to me, one of the ways is just simply having community, right? Like having this like, sort of sisterhood of support like I would have never started NSP without Natalie you know I mean it's the and then all the people who came around us and helped us get it off the ground and um that to me is the strongest counter to that voice in my head that's like you don't know what you're doing or you shouldn't speak up or you should you know it's 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 my colleagues that are doing that brave work with me and then I'm like okay you know (laughs) um there's this strength in coming together to me that's been the most helpful thing yes and that that reminds me it was when we were both um in Waco and we were in a, a group of women we called ourselves the strong women because we just believed it about each other and that helped us believe it about ourselves mm-hmm. and it was kind of out of that group that Kendall and I became close and that the idea for nevertheless she preached came Heather who did our logo was in that group with us um so yeah I totally agree we never would have done this on our own it was kind of like each other um believing in each other um and all of those that community around us um kind of made it happen. And I also think that's what happens at Nevertheless She Preached. Yes. Because you're there with all these women and nobody questions your right to be there. Nobody questions your calling. You're hearing from people who you have never even like thought about their perspective before. And it's just such a, an, a powerful moment to be around so many um, people who share so much in common, but also who you can learn so much more from and open that door even wider to uh, so yeah, it's it's a big boost for sure because you kind of believe each other's calling into being more loud and, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds and like I think it's really. Can I add something? To yeah, that? sure, absolutely. I mean, I think like um, it's also I think a very powerful experience for the men who come. Yes, you know because yeah, I mean men have just come up to me weeping after after I mean I remember someone last year I. I I can't remember his name, but he was just so moved because he'd never been in a space where women were just able to completely speak their truth and be celebrated. And it just moved him on this level. And so I think it's healing for women and men, you know? Yeah, I think that is also a misconception just on a practical side that this event is is for men and women. Everybody is mm-hmm. welcome to this conference. And yes. uh, again, you want to sign up at neverthelessshepreached.com. Uh, starts uh, this Saturday with a public event with the conference starting Monday, running through Tuesday. Well, before we let Autumn ask a final question, I've got a question for both of you. You know, we oftentimes, unfortunately, concentrate on the obstacles that are before women ministers and preachers, and rightly so, uh, because it's it's still just prevalent, uh, especially in, in Baptist circles. But I'm going to ask you about what is your favorite thing about preaching or ministering? 
so I, well, gosh, I have a lot of favorite things, but, <laughs> um, one, one cool thing, I will say one really, one of my favorite things about specifically being a woman minister mm-hmm. is, um, I often find, you know, you have obviously have the people who are resistant or skeptical or whatever, but for, but for some people it's like the, the barriers just come down, you know, because mm. they've maybe been, you know, their experience has been with a male pastor who yelled at them or, you know, a, and there's just, there's just kind of a softening. Like there's like, Oh, okay. Like they, they feel less threatened mm. and that's a really beautiful gift. I think, um, that gets to happen sometimes. My favorite, my two favorite things of my favorite thing about preaching is coming at the text from um, a unique angle. Like if it's not, if it's not a unique angle, it doesn't, it doesn't excite me. <laughs> so I like, I like yeah. helping people reimagine and rethink and kind of get out of their stuck ways of thinking. Um, and the ministry itself, for me, it's definitely the one-on-one. Like I just love being with people in that one-on-one moment where they're really hitting on something that is deep for them um, and opening in this vulnerable way. That's I, I love that feels so sacred and holy to me. Awesome. Natalie. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine are similar. I, I mean, I love the preaching moments. Like all of the stuff that leads up to that is like, wrestling with the angel on the side of the river or whatever, (laughs) (laughs) hoping that you like come away with some kind of blessing. But I feel like I love scripture. Um, Like I'm a huge Bible nerd (laughs) and, (laughs) and I love, um, I love to be able to really dig into it, challenge it, ask questions, be, and that's a dangerous position for a woman, right? To go to like a very patriarchal book and expect to hear a word from God. But like Kendall said, coming at it from different angles, bringing our own personal experience and experience of the people around us um, to the text is really exciting for me. So doing that work and finding a way to connect these ancient stories, our sacred text with something that is affirming and holy and good for everyone who's listening, um, something that matters for their lives, and then getting to that to people who are like waiting to hear it is like it's just almost a magical experience of of how the holy spirit works in these really strange ways so i love the preaching moment um and then yeah i love my favorite part of ministry is like this seems really weird but like doing funerals and visiting people at the Mm. hospital and these things that feel really uncomfortable in some ways but then they're like, who else gets to sit in this moment, you know, with children whose father just died? Like who gets yeah. to be the one sitting there and hearing their stories and looking at their artwork and being the one that they can just sit in silence with? I don't know. Um, it's not it's not always like something I look forward to going to do, but those moments of um, that are just kind of at the intersection of life and death that are in these uh, these places that are really usually private. Um, getting to be a part of those and to speak, speak something um, life giving, life affirming, or even just be as a representative of God and of the church and say, like, I'm here, I'm here with you. That's uh, really, really meaningful to me. That's yeah, really that's nice. sacred for sure. Now, before Autumn, you asked this last question, I've got one, one question I really do want to ask. And that is, 
there's somebody out there listening this week that is thinking about registering for Nevertheless She Preached, but hasn't made a final decision yet. Why should they register today? In fact, hit pause, go register right now after you hear what Kendall and Natalie have to say. There's no other place where you're going to hear from a diversity of voices like you're going to hear on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday night. And there's no way you're going to get that opportunity for 25 bucks ever in your life. (laughs) So I think if you are curious about uh, Nevertheless You Preached, or if you're, you know, already affirming of women, but you want to be a good ally, well, your job at this moment is to show up and listen. And it's going to be uh, edifying for your soul. It's going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be so good for you. It's going to be empowering for you, whether you're male or female or non-binary. This is for you. Show up and you won't regret it. That's my pitch. (laughs) That's a good one. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before I ask our last question, I do just want to give you a little bit of encouragement from the other side. I'm not a preacher, but I've had the benefit of being in a church that had women deacons and strong women leadership. And I had this really holy moment um, when our assigned deacon and I were pregnant at the same time, and we were both very, very sick. And um, I had a knock at the door, and there was a care package with a brownie and a pickle and sparkling water. And I'm like, a male deacon would not be able to meet this need for me. (laughs) (laughs) So seen. And um, it was just one of those moments where I'm like, absolutely, women should be in ministry because it was such a, a hard time in my life. And, you know, we really walked through that together. Mm. That's yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of everything that we've talked about and everything you all are looking forward to next week, what is your more to tell? Mm. I, I think the more to tell for me is that this started as a way to empower and affirm women specifically. But what we realized was um, that kind of space of affirmation, that space of acceptance and listening and empowerment that we needed so badly as women is something that is even more needed by uh, for women of color, for um, queer women, for trans women, for um, all kinds of other groups of people who just don't have that space. And, and, you know, I feel really like I have a lot of privilege, even though I I definitely feel marginalized in some way as a woman pastor in Baptist life. I have a lot of privilege as a, as a white woman, as, you know, a, a hetero cis woman. And so the more to tell is that I think, I think the work that needs to happen throughout the church, women can be the leaders on because we know we have a taste of what it feels like to be pushed to the side. And so we're more willing to be brave to push those doors wider open and wider open to other folks um, to listen to their experiences and, and be willing to fight for them too. So I think that's kind of like where I would go with the more to tell. Mm-hmm. I love that. Like part of, part of the work is not just overcoming our obstacles, but also using the privilege we do have mm-hmm. to, um, you know, provide platforms for other people. And and what that made me think about it in terms of more to tell is that for us, it's not just about 
um, elevating women's voices, which is central, but, but it's all the pieces that sort of surround that too, that we're evaluating, we're trying to evaluate everything, um, that might have sort of patriarchal overtones. So for, so I'll give you a concrete example. So you know what I mean? Like it's one of our commitments is that we pay all of our speakers the same. So even if you're, what a concept. yeah, so you might be, you know, you might be a really well-known prominent speaker, or you might be someone with an equally important voice, but for whatever reason, maybe because of your marginalization or other reasons, you haven't, you haven't gotten the same um, opportunities or attention. And so one of the ways we try to sort of equalize things is, is we pay everyone, we try to pay everyone well and, um, and everyone the same. So th- that's just one example of, of um, the ways that we're trying to look at the entire way we sort of structure an organization or, or do business, so to speak, that um, is fully affirming of everyone who participates. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Stop right now and go to neverthelessshepreached.com and register for the event this weekend. It starts Sunday night with it. And the Sunday night event is free to the public and they can log on uh, at the website or is it, where's it going to be streaming? On Facebook. That's your Facebook page. Okay. So go to nevertheless, she preached Facebook page and it will be streamed live uh, there on Sunday night. And then the conference gets underway Monday. So if you have been wavering, you've been thinking, should I go? Absolutely. hundred percent. You need to go, go register today. Do not stop. Uh, Just go right there and and register and uh, you will not, you will not regret it. I promise you. Well, Kendall, Natalie, thank you so much for being our guest at Good Faith Weekly. This uh, episode, we wish you the very best and can't wait to not only hear about Nevertheless She Preached and its success, but participate as well. So we'll be paying our registration fee and watching online with everybody else. Thanks for being our guest at Good Faith Weekly. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And we want to thank everybody for listening this week. As always, we want to encourage our listeners to go out and to practice good faith.